You are listening to the New Street X podcast, where we interview people who understand the intersection of physical and digital collectibles. We're entering an exciting world in the collectible space that involves things like sneakers, NFTs, trading cards, fashion, sports, pop culture, and much, much more. And these things are coming together. So we're here to talk to people that understand that, people that are really building the future of collectibles around the world. Thank you so much for listening. Please follow us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, and hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the New Street X Podcast. I'm excited to have here today a special guest, Dajan Park, also known as DP Sneak, and he's also the head of the Elevate Consulting Group. He's a thought leader and content creator in the sneaker space, and his consulting group is an education community platform teaching people about the sneaker reselling space. He's an overall well-known and very thoughtful and smart person in the sneaker game. Excited to have him here to talk about his life. So, Dajin, thanks so much for being here, man. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Tony. Yeah, let's let's dive into maybe your origin story here, right? Like, how was how did sneakers become a part of your life? When was that? What was the moment that you know? Clearly, now you're not just a sneaker fan, but it's like your your business, your life. So, where did this all begin? Yeah. Um, so I think I have a pretty traditional uh, reseller story, at least, where I've always been into shoes, but my parents would never buy me the shoes I wanted. Um, obviously, those those price tags can really get up there. So they basically told me, hey, if you want these expensive shoes, you're going to have to go out there and uh, get it get it yourself. So this was probably like eight years ago. So like 20, 2015 um, was when I had my first, first shoe that I sold. And I just haven't stopped since. Well, and how did that, that happen? Because I mean reselling and selling shoes, I guess it's, it's, it's not like a unknown thing, but how do you get into it? Did you have friends that were resellers? Did you just like, I don't know, spend a lot of time online trying to figure it out? Did you have like mentors? Did you get connected to the community? Because to me, it's like not always obvious how someone gets into it. Yeah, yeah. So the first, the first couple of years was really just me and I had a couple of friends who were both also into sneakers, but not yet in the resale space. And it was more just us we realized we could make money doing this. And we were like, all right, like what, what's the next, next year that's coming out? Like how can we get it? Um, and it was us just texting back and forth. So there wasn't, wasn't much structure to it. Um, it was more just doing as much research as we can and then going out there and, and trying to get the shoes. And when, when you're trying to get these shoes, right? Like, well, I guess two of those things there, right? Like the research, did this come like just from forums or from talking to people or just kind of social media, figuring out what's hot. Uh, and then the second part, how do you get those shoes, right? Because I think in a world of, let's take like sneaker botting or, you know, just limited supply, sneaker apps, trying to figure out how you get that. Where did you get those resources from? Yeah, so most of it was just online. So sites like, I mean, now we've got like Sneaker News, it kicks on fire. Well, they post a list of all the, the releases coming out that month. Um, and us doing our research, looking up on eBay, hey, how much is this shoe going for? Can we make a profit on it? And then in terms of actually getting the shoe, a lot of it was still online. I would do in-store when I could, but I was young, so I didn't have a license. And so anytime I wanted to go in-store, be having my parents or having my uh, my grandma go drag me to the store and, and kind of dragging them over with me. And the first shoe I actually flipped, so it wasn't even like a, a hyped up release. It was actually from Marshalls. So I didn't have much money to spend. I had like 20 bucks. And so we went to Marshalls. I found a shoe for 20 bucks, sold it on eBay for 50, um, and then continued to build my capital through there. That's a that's a really inspiring start because I thought you were going to say like the first one was something like really hot like sneaker that everybody wanted but somehow got lucky with but I well, I guess what you're also like kind of saying here is that you know resale doesn't need to mean 
the hottest sneakers possible that you get. Like you're literally able to to go to Marshalls and like flip that. What made you think that that twenty dollars shoe in Marshalls was worth fifty? Like what? How did you know how to gamble and like sell that on eBay? Yeah. So I was I was I would be in Marshalls and I had the eBay app open on my phone. Actually, on my on my grandma's phone because I didn't have a I didn't have a phone yet. Um, but I'd, I'd be on eBay and there's a, a filter you can put on where you check sold listings and completed items. Um, so you can see what items have sold for in the past in the same size, same condition. Um, so I would literally just go through every single shoe in the Marshalls or in the, in the Ross, wherever I was at, check the prices, see what pairs have sold for in the past. And if it was more than what I could buy it for, I'd pull the trigger. And, and so you and your friends sound like you guys kind of came together and you're able to help each other out and, and do this all together, not just like in isolation. What were things that you guys were, were into? Like, I mean, were you also thinking about reselling things like, you know, obviously streetwear is another kind of natural, like side topic when it comes to sneakers. You could, re- you could resell a lot of other things as well. But is there something about sneakers that captivated you guys in particular? Like, was it a love for and a particular type of shoe, maybe sports, things like that? What was like the appeal of sneakers specifically? Yeah, um, we messed around with like Supreme a little bit. Uh, and when we started 2015, 2016, this was like peak Supreme, like box logo. If you had a box logo, you were the coolest kid in school. So that was kind of the era we we came up in. Personally, I never really got into it in terms of like wearing Supreme or having Supreme stuff. But sneakers for me was always something that I was into. Um, even as a kid and even when I didn't really know what a cool sneaker was, I knew I wanted cool sneakers to me. Um, it didn't really matter what shoes they were as long as I thought they were cool. And it was always a, a main focus for me. So being able to, to make money doing it, when I found out I could do that, I was like, all right, this is what I want to do. That's interesting. I mean, the streetwear like comparisons, like really interesting to me, like from, from your friends who are, let's say, like focusing on recently, I mean, obviously the Supreme has gone up and down in terms of like overall, it's still obviously highly desirable, but I think definitely gone up and down. Would you, would you say that like the sort of streetwear resale game is less or like less like more difficult more complicated than sneakers is it is it something that's like very similar how do you say it's like different because i'm noticing obviously you you, you're aware of that world as well yeah so the streetwear game now the clothing space in general in in for reselling um it's pretty messed up i'd say like just to throw a number out there like 90 percent of the items you'll see being resold clothing wise um are replicas or, or fakes um so brands like Spider, uh, Essentials, or V-Lone, almost everything you see out there right now is one-of-one one replicas. And a lot of these stores are selling them knowingly um, just because obviously they're, they're paying a lot lower and the margins are a lot better. But that's I think that's like the biggest biggest difference right now for me between sneakers and, and clothing. Um, clothing is more just about the, the money, hitting their margins and not really caring whether it's real, whether it's fake, whether it's uh, one-of-one replica. Um, versus sneakers, it's a lot more, a lot more to do with the culture. I'd say a lot more care for whether it's real, whether it's fake. No sneaker store is selling fake shoes or intentionally selling fake shoes, but clothing—that's kind of where the the line plays. Got it. So it sounds like you had this like really interesting journey from being pretty young, very quickly realizing you can make some money from reselling sneakers. At that point, like, to what degree was this becoming like an actual business for you, versus like a side hustle? Were you starting to just and how much time are you devoting to it? Because I'm guessing, obviously, this whole time you're going to school as well. So was it something that you sit on like evenings and weekends? Did you think, did you ever think of this something you could turn into a business? Like, or would that, did that take time in order for you to get to that realization? Yeah. So, I mean, I started out when I was pretty young, right? So my, my concept of like what a lot of money was. And how, how old were you? What, like a, so I'm, I'm 20 now. So eight years ago, I was like 12 years old. So, um, 
Yeah. So my, my idea of what a lot of money was or what, what actual business could look like was a lot different than what it is now. Um, so for me at the time, like I thought I was making a lot of money off the bat, you know what I mean? Making like 30, 40 bucks here and there. Um, cause when you're in middle school, like you got no bills to pay, you don't have to pay for anything really. I, I thought I was rich. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I thought I was like, I thought I was doing well then. Um, obviously I, I couldn't even imagine the, the scale we got to now, but for me at the time, it was, it was all I needed. And, and this whole time, like, you know, as you're getting into middle school and then high school and stuff, was this something like supported by your parents? And did you start expanding? Because now, and, and let's get into obviously Elevate um, and what you're doing there. But was there like a transition where maybe like one year goes by, you're selling this much, next year goes by, it's bigger, you're working with more people. Like, how did that progress as you got to where you are right now? Yeah. So the thing with sneakers is more money you have, more money you can make, right? Because if you have a thousand bucks, you can buy $1,000 shoes. If you have 10,000, you can buy, obviously, um, 10 times more than that. So the biggest thing is like just making sure you're reinvesting your capital. So anytime I was making a profit, it's just going straight back into the business. I can buy more shoes then, make more money. Um, so it very quickly snowballs, um, which is nice. So in terms of like the, the growth or the progression, I mean, it would go from, it's a pretty like visible, tangible thing you can see. Like you go from like 10 shoes to 100 shoes. Um, so that for, if we're talking about like my parents and people around me, that's a pretty easy thing to see and say, okay, this is really starting to grow. Um, this is maybe something that's a little more serious. It's not just um, going to going to Marshalls and making 30 bucks. And how did Elevate Consulting Group came about? Because I know like when, when we spoke, you mentioned some things you're working on. I'd love for you to touch on all of them. So you obviously have, maybe kind of like walk us through the different things you're working on. Tell us a bit about, you know, DP Sneak and the content you're posting, the Elevate Consulting Group, how that works. I know maybe the physical store and anything else. Uh, what's your like sort of sneaker empire right now? Sure. So I like to say we've got three main pillars right now. Um, so we've got the store side, which is the actual buying and selling of sneakers. Um, we've got one physical location we just opened up in July, actually. Um, and the plan is to open up a bunch more over the next couple of years. Um, so we've got the buying and selling issues. We've got the consulting side, which is Elevate Consulting Group or ECG. Um, that's where we teach people how to make money doing the same. Um, specifically, we're focused on consignment. So we're basically giving our pairs to different sneaker stores around the country. They're selling it for us. They take their cut um, and they pay out, pay out uh, the consigners and the sellers once it sells. Um, so that's our main focus there. And then we've got the content, uh, obviously, which you mentioned, which kind of fuels everything. Yeah. And it all ties together nicely. Obviously, our, our own uh, work we're doing with the stores, we open more stores. They're consignment based. We've got a whole network of consignors ready to go. We've been doing it for so long to where we, we know how the business works. So this store, like I love to just get deeper into each one of these things here. So the store, is that like under a particular, is it under the DP Sneak brand or I guess what, maybe the group of people you're working with? And I think when I think about stores sometimes, like sometimes it makes me think that I don't know how big it is, but maybe like, you know, all the staff you'd need there. And, you know, there's this like bigger question about retail, right? Like does it, does it make sense to invest in physical retail locations, particularly if you want to expand when like a lot of e-commerce is a, a choice. And, and sometimes I'm just saying these things like to play devil's advocate, but like, what, what was the thinking when it came to the store and what's the ambition for it? Yeah. So I'm originally from Massachusetts. I'm located in New York City now, but um, I'm lucky enough to have a good network still in Massachusetts. That's where I started out. That's where I built most of my um, reselling connections, I'd say. So I have a, a great partner with the store who's basically managing everything and running everything while I'm still in the city. And so it works out for me to where I'm not having to manage the day-to-day I can kind of play more of like a advisor position. We help out with, with sourcing pairs and marketing and content and stuff like that. But 
the day to day, I'm not, I'm not super involved. As far as the retail location, this is something I, I've talked with a lot of people about. And a lot of people have asked me, like, you've been doing this online for so long. Like, why, why get into the physical space or the physical store space? We had a good opportunity where the, the rent was so cheap at this spot. And like you said, like retail, maybe dying, maybe not. The mall is considered like a dead mall. Um, it's like a lot of stores are shutting down there. There's not too much foot traffic, um, which is why the rent was so cheap. But we know the area and we're, we're local in Massachusetts. So we know the type of customers coming in the mall. Also had access to the finish line sales numbers, which is like literally right next to us in the mall. And the finish line sales numbers at that mall was almost like at the same level as the biggest mall in New England. Yeah. Yeah. And so to us, it's like, we're looking at this opportunity. It's like, okay, rent's going to be super cheap because the mall's pretty dead. But anyone who's walking into this mall is coming in there with the purpose of buying shoes. And so to us, it, it was a no-brainer. Sure, there's there's some added costs, whatever, but it made sense in that in that situation. I think it can make sense in a lot of other situations as well. Yeah, I was going to say that that specific circumstance makes a lot of sense. I mean, obviously, when someone like thinking about it at the high level, like, oh, opening up a physical sneaker store, like without knowing those details, it's, it's it sounds like maybe a tougher. And and is the plan to to find that kind of exact circumstances in different places around the country? Do you have certain criteria of the kind of places you want to keep moving into, like in in the future? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people they think sneaker store and they think like like you said, the sneaker capitals, New York, whether it's Boston, LA, Chicago, you know what I mean, all the major cities. Um, we don't want to get in there at all because obviously, you get into the major cities, the closer you are to the city, the, the higher the costs are going to be. So our strategy is to kind of roll with places like this first store, um, where they're pretty low key. You wouldn't really necessarily know they're a good spot to open from the outside unless you have some type of connection with the sneaker community in that area who can tell you, hey, people like sneakers here. And so that's kind of our strategy. We don't want to compete with Flight Club, Stadium Goods, or any of the the, the bigger companies. Um, we want to focus on the areas that have, haven't been tapped into yet. Um, from the outside, don't look like too good of an opportunity um, until you do some do some digging. I'm curious because like you've, you've definitely probably are somewhat aware of like the economics of this. But let's say you are, well, Flight Club might be an exception because it's already you know number one or one of the top uh, sneaker stores in the world, but when I think about some of the more like boutiquey, hot, urban uh, sneaker stores, like whether it's in a place like where I live, like London, or even in New York, you know, it's not just Flight Club. There's like a dozen others um, that might be like the next layer down in terms of like notoriety. I, or I think about things like like Dave's Quality Meats, which I think shut down. But are the economics of those stores pretty tough because it's like you you kind of have to rely on being well known at a global level or a national level get all like celebrities to come in and start shopping there. And is it even like, because I'm, I'm, the reason I'm bringing that up is because when I think about like a hot store, like a sexy store in an LA or New York, et cetera, and I think about what you're describing, like in maybe slightly less obvious locations, like, I know like a Columbus, Ohio or whatever, it sounds to me like maybe the economics are even better <laughs> to build a second type of store versus trying to be like the next hot thing that's competing with a flight club in New York. And those, those, those stores open up all the time, right? Yeah, that's our theory. You see those stores open up the major cities. You also see a lot of them shut down, a lot of them close, even the super like big name stores. Um, and I've, I mean, I've heard some of the numbers from stores like those, uh, where they're on the outside, they appear like they're doing much better because sure, their, their sales are whatever, five, 10 times higher than what we're going to be doing, but their costs are also even 10, 20 times higher than what we're paying. So it looks like they're successful from the outside and they might have the big, the big name, the big brand, the fancy location, fancy store. But yeah, I think the economics are much better with the, the more low-key spots. 
And that's going to be our strategy moving forward. Okay, so Elevate Consulting Group. So can you walk me through like, what kind of person should be joining like that, right? Someone who's trying to be like a reseller. What are you seeing right now in terms of people that are, are joining? How does that work? Like, is it content and like events that you guys share with them? And also, how many of these consult, like sneaker consulting companies are there as well? Yes, yeah, sorry, that was like five questions like mashed into one. We just love to chat about Elevate too. Sure, sure, sure. Um, okay, so what exactly is Elevate Consulting Group, right? We've got two sides to it. We've got the sneaker side, which is focused on consignment. And then we've got the Amazon side, um, which is actually run by some of my good friends. Um, I don't know anything about Amazon, Amazon FBA. Um, so I brought on some people who do, and we built out that side of the group. So the sneaker side, this is what I do. This is what I'm in charge of. And this is what I'm good at. Essentially, the idea is we're connecting consigners with store owners um, and obviously vice versa. And so we've got a list of, I think we're at like 30, 40 stores that we're, we're consigning with and partnering with. Um, we bring the store owners into the group, establish the direct line of communication with the consigners, let them do business from there. Um, so that's essentially what we're charging for. Obviously, there's more to it. There's a whole community aspect, the one-on-one calls, the group calls, the uh, the guidance overall. But that's bird's eye view. That's what we do. And the consigners themselves, like, I mean, clearly, if they want to join Elevate, they're not just doing it for a hobby, right? Do they see the consignment as a, a path to like a, whether it's, Anything from like a interesting, profitable side hustle to like a full-time job for them? Yeah. So for us, we're pretty selective with who we lend to the group. Um, obviously, if people come into the group, they pay us a lot of money and they don't get results, then they have a, a negative association with our brand and then it goes downhill from there. Um, so for us, it's not about just whoever is willing to pay us. It's more just about whoever we think is going to be a success story, whoever we think is actually going to get success in the group. So for us... What that looks like is someone who already has experience in reselling. Um, ideally, they already have experience consigning, uh, but maybe ran into some issues, maybe just didn't have the right stores to work with. Um, and then obviously, there's some capital requirements, some age requirements. But really, we're looking for people who have experience reselling already. And basically, what we did, we had a, we had a ton of people who were messaging us every day. How can, I, how can I join the group? Can you help me? Whatever. But they either didn't have the experience, or they didn't have the capital. So we created a free group. Um, which basically has everything you need to go from zero to whatever requirements we have set for the high ticket. And so we help them for free. And obviously we don't expect anything in return, but the idea is we help them to the point where they are at a point where they can join the ECG. So that's our that's our idea. It's not immediately obvious to me where someone can learn to be like a very successful reseller or consigner. Is is that true? Like if if let's say ECG didn't exist or you weren't aware of it and you were living in Arizona right now, trying to figure out what to do. What are your alternatives? Is it just to kind of figure it out yourself and try to make friends online and people in this, the space? Yeah, it's tough. Um, it's getting to a point where the information or at least the relationships with the consignment stores, it's getting competitive, right? So if you don't have someone who's making that connection for you or bridging that gap for you, it's tough to find stores that are A, trustworthy, because you're obviously sending your pairs thousands and thousands of dollars to them and have to trust that they're not going to just run away with those um, flee the country, whatever. So there's the trust aspect and also making sure you're working with stores that actually can sell your pairs well. You don't want to be sending your pairs to some store that only sells like five shoes a month. You know what I mean? Um, so you're not going to make any money. So those are the two big things. And it's, like I said, it's getting competitive. A lot of people, there's a lot of attention on consignment now. I'm partially at fault for that. It's one of the main things I've um, But there's a lot of people trying to get into it and there's not as many stores. It's, that's really interesting, like macro dynamic there. Like, can you talk a bit more about like the competition? Like, is that something that wasn't the case 10 years ago? It was less competitive in the consignment space. And why do you think that is? Like, how, how has that change been 
affected over the last 10 years? And why do you think that is? So before with consignment, it was really just flight club stadium goods. Um, that's all anyone talked about. That's all anyone would really resell to. That was great. That got oversaturated probably three-ish years ago um, when people started finding out finding out more about it. And then the focus shifted towards these smaller consignment shops. We call them like local consignment shops. They're just like your stores across like the random cities. You know what I mean? Not your flight club, not your stadium goods, not your urban necessities. The more low-key spots that not everyone's heard about. They're not household names. Um, that kind of became the focus. And I think the reason being is, again, I'm partially responsible for it. There's a couple other big creators in the space who saw how profitable consignment could be. And so that's kind of what we were advising, right? We're, we're here to help people make money selling shoes. We saw consignment as the best way to do that or one of the best ways to do that. So that's what we push out. Obviously, as our reach grows, as the more people we hit, the more people who also believe that that's the best way to grow and are trying to get into it. And, and is the main sort of value proposition like you know if i was trying to just like resell myself on StockX or on ebay or whatever the the economics versus and like the roi or roi of me trying to put my time in to find the buyer is it just easier for me to just work with a consigner is that like the kind of main idea behind why a consigner would be easier yeah so it's, it's relatively passive once you ship your shoes to the store um because the store does all the work they're handling all the sales they're taking the payment whatever um and you just kind of sit back wait for your shoes to sell and then all the work you're doing is just buying the shoes and then shipping them out. And once they're shipped out, you're good. It would be tough for you to do the same uh, just on your own without a group or someone helping you out, making the connections, just because of the access. Um, a lot of these stores aren't working with people outside of our group, or if there's another group, let's say, doing the same thing, they're not working with consignors outside of that group. So it's getting tougher and tougher for the individual reseller. Sure, you can do it, build a local clientele. Um, but if you want to do this kind of more passively, I mean, we work with a lot of people who are full-time students, full-time workers, they have their, their normal nine-to-five and are just doing this maybe on the side or, or just to, to funnel their nine-to-five income into. It's a great option. I'd love to just get your take on like so many things, like whether how the markets change, how, how are the major sneaker brands approaching this now in terms of like what they like, don't like, hot new brands that might be rising up or changes that you've seen here's like preferences. So maybe let me start with one, <laughs> one of these questions. Again, I feel like there's like a lot I want to talk about, but... Let's just take reselling in general. When you think about when you started versus now, and there's so many things that probably have changed, what's been like the most impactful change uh, you'd say from when you were you started eight years ago versus now? Yeah, I'm going to give you two. I think the two biggest are going to be the fact that there's a lot more people in the space. After COVID, it, almost every reseller you're seeing right now on Instagram or, or whatever, they started during the COVID, COVID years. So 2020, um, a lot more eyes on the game. So that's the first thing. And I think the second thing is that there's a lot more information out there. Um, this just comes with the, the uh, nature of the internet um, and also nature of business. If people want to learn something, they're looking to get into an industry. There's going to be people who are going to make money showing them how to do that. Um, so I think those are the two biggest things. A lot more information out there, a lot more opportunities to fast track the progress, not take eight years like I did, but just kind of learn it all through one program. Um, and then also just more people in general. I mean, this this kind of reminds me of one of the things actually I want to ask you about, maybe talk a bit more about the content you create. Because it, again, I, I just think back to the perspective where I'm probably above average knowledge on the sneaker world, but by no means would I call myself like an expert on on reselling. And if I think to myself, like my friends who ask me, hey, so I hear that the sneaker resale thing is cool. I've always been a fan of sneakers. I I, I love them, maybe like just from a passion perspective. How do I actually learn about reselling? And then usually when I think about one of the ways that they would naturally try to solve that question without without my help 
is that go online, right? They go on particularly social media. So if you go on like Instagram or TikTok and you just look up sneakers, you start following people, uh, that might be your like source of truth. And we can, there's like a broader topic there about, you know, what, what is truth in social media. But I guess two questions here baked into this one, like, how do you see what the information is and whether it's correct on social media? Because I think sometimes I see people who are posting stuff about sneakers and it's not like whether it's a YouTube video or whether it's, you know, an Instagram account or a TikTok, there's a mixture of like, just opinion about like, oh, this will sell for a hot price versus actually kind of like data-driven stuff where they might take like a screenshot from like a StockX page, like here's a price history. Therefore, I'm, even though they're, they're not going to call themselves financial advisors, they're kind of like acting like it. Like, oh, so trust me, this is going to be really hot. And it's always difficult for me to know like what to trust or not. And I think, again, I'm like probably slightly above average in knowledge on that. So one, how does someone like kind of sift through what is trustworthy or not? Maybe it's by topic as well. Maybe you can it's cool to just appreciate like cool, cool secret discussion. But when it comes to like financial advice, like be very, very careful. And then, and then the second question is, so then when you think about content and, and the sort of flywheel you have with the stores, with Elevate, like what, so tell me more about what, what content you're creating and maybe how that might address that first question as well. Yeah, it's tough. There's a lot of bad information out there. There's a lot of, a lot of bad business out there. Um, I mentioned there's a lot more opportunities for education in the sneaker reselling space specifically, um, which means, I mean, the, I'm sure you you know the reputation that the course or the program consulting space has. There's a lot of scammers out there who will just take your money and run with it. I'm in that space, and so a lot of times we're having to deal with that same reputation, um, where people are assuming it's the same, the same whatever. It's it's tough to find people who actually know what they're talking about. They're actually trying to help you succeed in the space. Um, just because I mean, a lot of people in the space are just money hungry. Yeah, it's not easy. Content-wise, our strategy um, is we'll post content that we think we it can go viral. It appeals to the masses, sneakerheads, regular sneakerheads, resellers, anybody, honestly, which for us is going to be these cash-up videos. Um, we're basically going to events. We're going in there, buying, negotiating, talking with the sellers. Um, I think people, A, like the the raw interaction with humans. And then B, they like seeing how the sneaker reselling business kind of works, even if it's just on a very surface level. Then the idea is those people come in. So we're hitting the masses. They get into the funnel. They go into our, maybe if they have experience, we're talking about ECG. If they don't have experience, we're sending them to the free group. Um, and we help them get to the point where, okay, maybe now we can talk about ECG um, once they've kind of built their business up a little bit, built their experience up. Um, so that's our strategy. In terms of what I'd say for how to sift through the the bad information. You can tell pretty quickly, I think, just by the way people talk, the way people carry themselves, the way people act, the type of content they're posting. You can tell who's been doing this for a while. You can tell who knows what they're actually talking about. I mean, there's there's people who will post videos and will be like, buy this shoe and it's going to go up to, to $600, whatever. And then there's just no explanation. Guys like those, you can usually you can usually sift through pretty easily just looking at their page. It's, it's interesting because that's kind of how I mean, and not to compare sneakers exactly to this, but I think about like in the crypto NFT world, people are kind of sometimes just like shilling stuff, like saying, oh, dude, buy this NFT. I promise you will like do really well, which is harmful for people that are genuinely interested. But now they feel like they get burnt by that stuff. Like, oh, screw this. This stuff's like not real. And even like in like the stock market, right? Like people sometimes everybody has like a, an agenda when it comes to why they're posting something and say, hey, like buy this stock or my recommendation is this. And that that market, you know, has been going on forever. So it, it seems to me like, you know, as more people get interested in this, and this is kind of obviously one of the 
things we're doing at Newstreet in terms of all the, the data we're gathering and information around sneakers is that I think now maybe the result of those two things you mentioned, like more people in the space and like more information that comes with that and, and like more, I guess, arguably confusion because there's more to sift through, it makes sneakers resemble kind of more like other markets. And maybe it requires like a more sophisticated mindset perhaps versus like 20 years ago, 10 years ago, would you say it's true that it takes more effort perhaps or more um, hard work to to actually get through this versus like when you were doing this 10 years ago? Yeah, 100%. I mean, sneakers themselves are not a traditional market. A, it's very young space. A lot of the guys who are doing business in this space are kids, high schoolers, college kids. A lot of the top guys even where you go to pretty much any other market, all the top guys are, they've been doing this for the last like five decades. You know what I mean? So that's that's different um, in and of itself. And then just sneakers in general, I think a lot of times people don't take seriously. So they would never expect, I mean, like what you guys are doing, they would never expect a company to come out and focus on data in sneakers. They can more just look at it as like a hobby um, or it's just, you know, shoes you wear on your feet, nothing more to it. Maybe you make a little, a little extra money here and there, but it's not, a, it's not an actual market, it's not an actual business. I think the direction we're going in is a lot of more people are seeing Hey, okay, this maybe this is a valid market. It's not just a phase. It's not just a bubble. And so, more and more opportunities for companies like yourself are going to pop up. And people want to take it more, more serious, more professionally. I think that's the direction we're headed in. Do you think like and because you you presumably I know you go to like a lot of sneaker conferences and obviously meet people like every day in the in the industry. If you were to like let's say trace back, let's say the last five years of like highs and lows in like the market sentiment, because I think. And I see this across other markets too, but let's just take like COVID, right? I think a lot of, uh, just like, like honestly, like just like the overall economy, right? There was a lot of optimism and that translated into things like retail investment when it came to things like GameStop or NFTs or sneakers or trading cards. And overall, if you think about, there's that famous study by that um, company Cowan that talked about the sneaker resale market just like growing and projected numbers in like the tens of billions by 2030. But then also you see, you know, on like a regular basis, an article talking about whether this is hype, whether this is like long-term, like like ups and downs based on particular types of the market, times in the market, because, you know, the feeling about sneaker resale, let's say right now versus in February versus in March versus last year in October, it always goes like up and down. And we could talk about very specific issues too around maybe the collabs that are maybe not hitting as hard or uh, stuff that's getting too hyped. Like, do we have too many Travis Scott shoes? I'm sorry, I, I kind of feel that way, but that's not, not not to say everybody agrees with me on that. But when the reason this is, I'm asking this is because when you go to, let's say, a sneaker conference or just talk to people, would you say now versus a year ago, people are optimistic saying, yo, the market's healthy, this is great? Because I have talked to some people in the past few months who say, oh yeah, it's kind of in a lull right now. I wouldn't say I'm that optimistic. On the flip side, I've had people tell me, Actually, no, I feel like our business is growing. So, and these are people from different parts of the sneaker world. Some of them are resellers, some of them have marketplaces. From like your vantage point, what's your feeling about how things are going right now in the market and in your business perspective? I consider myself lucky to have started before the big COVID boom. Um, I mean, we got hit with people at home, a lot, lot more things to do, hobbies took off. We had the Last Dance documentary, which, which brought a lot of attention to sneakers specifically. Um, and then obviously the, everything, the stimulus check. So it was like a perfect storm sneakers proceedings to take off. Again, like I said, a lot of resellers, a lot of people in the game now came into it during that time. And so for them, all they knew was the boom, right? They never experienced the market in 
one of these down periods at one of these lows. The market now, in comparison to before the COVID era, so we're talking like 2018, is still much stronger than it was back then. Um, but for everyone who started in 2020, to them, this is like awful, right? This is like uh, the market's dead. You see it. You see it everywhere. You, if you go on YouTube, everyone's like, "Is reselling dead? Are sneakers dead?" Just because they haven't experienced the low periods. So I think again, this goes back to everyone just being young in sneakers. The majority of people being young in sneakers, they they don't understand the natural ups and downs of markets. Um, so to them, it's like it's it's all or nothing. It's dead or it's it's the greatest thing ever. So I think for me, from my perspective. This isn't anything crazy. I mean, I've seen it before. I've seen it much worse than this before. So it's more just business as usual. Finding ways to keep making money even during the down periods. But I'm not. I'm not worried at all. It's. It's. I think it's expected. Yeah. No. I. I completely feel that that makes a lot of sense. And and again, taking a long term view is really important. But it's really hard to do. Easier said than done. To think in the long term when you see yeah. like it's again like the stock market. If you see like oh like my portfolio has gone down thirty percent in the last month, that the natural reaction might be for people to like freak out and like maybe sell when the reality is maybe you shouldn't do that because it's like a blip in the long-term picture here. Now, amongst all the different things, and I've got like specific questions here, but I'd love to kind of hear more about what like you're focused on specifically. When you think about, let's say, brands that are doing well when it comes to resale, I think you have traditionally the most obvious killer people leading the market are Nike and Jordan. And one of the sort of meta topics of the last year, and, and I, I'm focusing, I think I told this when we, when we last spoke, but when I, when I saw like StockX's uh, last report about what's like the fastest growing sneaker brands that they're seeing on the platform, I think On was number one, and then Mischief, then Solomon, and New Balance. You know, there's a lot, been a lot of written about New Balance being, I mean, these aren't like brand new brands, they're all kind of oldish, but in the yeah. last, you know, year, in the last couple of years, honestly, uh, New Balance is probably perceived as one of the fastest growing yet best selling ones. So maybe like from your perspective, whether it's about the brands I just discussed, and obviously, obviously, Adidas has gone through a tough time for a variety of reasons as well last year, and even now, but then again, it's also come back. So there's all, so much nuance to this, right? I mean, they've restocked the Yeezys. Any, anyway, so out of all those like brands I mentioned, maybe ones that I haven't even mentioned, who do you think is like, you'd bet on right now? Or you're like saying these folks are doing a really good job. I'm very bullish on Solomon, let's say hypothetically. But you know what? I'm not feeling so hot about Adidas because of reason X. And maybe it's a mixture of what you're seeing from the business side, but also maybe your own personal feeling where it's like, you know, I just, I get the feeling, I, I believe in the hype or the culture, or the the love of this brand. So when, when, you, when you think about those brands, like what's your kind of take on who's doing well, who's not so well, and how you feel about that? Yeah, sure. From the outside, I would say, obviously, New Balance is... I'd say it's, it's they're doing the best in terms of where they were a couple of years ago compared to where they are now. Business-wise, for me, my strategy has always just been to to rock with Jordan and Nike. Um, they're the ones who they're the, they're the most consistent. I know they're always going to hit. So honestly, I don't devote much attention in terms of uh, reselling other shoes. Sure, you can make some money, but to me, they're more just micro trends. Um, they'll come and go every couple of years. So I mean, we're not selling. New Balance sells well. well. We'll mess around with it a little bit, but my main focus and where most of my time is spent, most of my money is spent, um, is with Jordans and, and Nike shoes specifically. I think all these trends are good. It forces maybe Nike to be a little bit more creative, but the same shoes, I mean, Jordan 1s, Jordan 3s, Jordan 4s, Jordan 11s, they're always going to sell well. And so for me, long-term, those are the ones I'm going to spend the most money on. So yeah, that's that's my general strategy. 
I think it's cool to see the the new brands come up um, and then the new brands to, to go out. But yeah, I just stick to, to Nikes and Jordans mainly. Do you, do you have a personal, I guess, preference or grails where whether it's ones you already own or you bought at some point in the last few years or you kind of have an aspiration to own, do you have any that kind of come from your own sort of personal passions or uh, preferences? Yeah, for me, my favorite silhouettes are Jordan 3s and then Jordan 1s. I'm specifically moved more towards the low tops for Jordan 1s, but Jordan 3s and Jordan 1s are my, my go-tos. Um, I'd say third place, I'd put Jordan 5s on there. In terms of what shoes I'm going after, I'm, uh, I know you said maybe too many Travis Scotts. I'm a big fan of the Travis Scott ones. The next pair on my list is the, uh, the Phantoms, which, which ones? Sorry. The, the Phantoms, the all blacks. I was actually, uh, I was a hater when they, when they first came out. To me, I saw the pictures and I was like, just buy a pair of black fans. Um, but they've been growing on me. I feel like the Travis, the Travis shoes always grow on me. So that's next on my list. And I, and I feel like Travis shoes, like, I don't know. When, when the whole Astroworld thing happened, I wasn't sure if that would like impact his appeal in the resale game. But it, it seems like, well, one, Nike's obviously releasing several shoes with him, like coming up again, just happening more and more. And I would imagine like there's still so much demand for Travis. So it seems like Travis is consistently like the way, and, and I don't know how long that would last, right? I mean, he's a young guy. And I mean, look how long Air Jordan's last. And obviously Travis is not Air Jordan, but it seems like, if you were to like place a bet on like Travis shoes over the last few years and maybe into the future, it's it's consistently just been in demand, right? Like there's not really been any sort of slowdown in demand for any Travis Scott shoes, right? Yeah, hundred percent. See, that's that's wild. That's so crazy. Um, do you think Nike? Because because when I think about it, taking a step back here, like Nike and Jordan, they derive so much of their cultural value, societal value, relevance from more of the limited edition shoes, right? And to them, they don't make as much money, obviously, than let's say the secondary market would on the highest priced uh, shoes from Nike or Jordan. And then you have this sort of back and forth, like love-hate frenemy situation where sometimes, you know, you have Nike or Adidas doing things like trying to cut down or limit or block sneaker bots, then increasing or decreasing like the sort of consequences of reselling then you also have situations where you know nike executives like their kids are are resellers and they're like kind of backdooring that it's this weird sort of i think nike and i'm just focusing on nike but it applies to kind of all of them they, they see the value in resale but it's also money that i feel like they could they wish they they had more of when it comes to the secondary markets and obviously you know these others they're suing StockX as well and they've sued other people well that's for other reasons like design and stuff but do you, is that something? How do you how do you think about that topic? Right, like if you were the CEO of Nike right now, what's your take on resale and what should the strategy be? Just kind of let things happen the way they are. Is that something that you you ever wonder whether Nike would change their opinion on this kind of thing? Yeah, Nike loves resellers. Nike loves resale market. Even if publicly they have to say they're anti reseller um, or they're doing their best to make it fair for the average customer, their their whole business model is the exclu- exclusivity. Right, they want less supply than there is demand. It's what keeps people coming back. It's what keeps their their shoes as, as like the, the pinnacle of sneakers, right? So in my mind, I don't care what Nike says. They've said it in the past where they're trying to ban resellers or prevent resellers. They love it. I mean, it just it just makes makes sense for them to, to keep going with it. Even like resellers now who are focused on, uh, like with Amazon FBA, they're, they're selling like just the everyday shoes. So not even shoes that are selling out, shoes that are hitting the outlets. Um, and if you go to your Nike outlet now, this is completely different than it was a couple of years ago. You go to your Nike outlet now, there's going to be two, three people there every single day at open. 
going through all the pairs, buying like as many shoes as they can. They'll bring their friends, they'll bring their family so they can get around the, the order limits. Um, but for Nike as a company, imagine you have stores that you open to sell your dead inventory, pairs you can't sell otherwise. And you have people coming in every single morning to buy as many as they can. There's no shot you're throwing that away. And then for the hype releases, obviously, it, it keeps people just wanting the shoes. And the more people who want the shoes, the more people who can't get them, the more that they want the next one. No, this makes a lot of sense, man. This is great. I mean, what are the things that you're kind of tracking in terms of, let's say, between now and five years, if we think about how reselling has changed, like some of the biggest things are just more people are there and then maybe more companies sprout up, more uh, creators come out. If you think about like between now and what would change the resale game the most, the sneaker, sneaker game, broadly speaking, the next five years, like what are some of the things that you're you're like tracking personally, like trends that you think are are mass. Maybe it is like one of those trends, like you mentioned about just more consignment. Maybe it's just the fact that more people are coming or maybe it's like, I don't know, technologies or companies or marketplace dynamics. Like what, what do you think right now is interesting and exciting for you when you think about how the industry could change? Maybe it's even like, I don't know, NFTs or like NFC chips and sneakers or I don't know, some designers just becoming more prominent, uh, maybe it's international markets, like out of everything that you think might have an impact on the resale market, what are some of the things that you're personally excited about or, or like just following as topics? I mean, I could go on with this for, for hours, but I think the, just to start it off, I think the first thing, the real estate or the open spots, specifically in malls, uh, where there's not sneaker stores already is shrinking every day. It feels like there's a new sneaker store being opened almost every week almost every day. So it's getting a lot more competitive just to find locations that someone already doesn't doesn't have. That's the first thing. I think the second thing is just in general control and access. Um, whoever is controlling what pairs get sent to what stores or what pairs get sold to to what customers. Whoever controls that in my opinion is going to win. Um, it's going to make probably the most money. And then in terms of just sneakers in general, I feel like we go through these these waves or these trends every three years where it's like we had Jordan ones and then we had the, we had the highs and then we had the mids and then those kind of faded away. And then we had 2020, we had fours, we had dunks. Um, and now those are, or at least dunks are kind of on the, the decline just in terms of resale value. And so I'm curious to see what the, what the next year up is going to be. Um, kind of where the, the market goes that way. No, man, there's, I feel like there's so many other topics that we could just dive really deep into, but maybe don't have time for maybe part two that, you know, like we, we, uh, we can do several of these, but maybe like kind of like wrap up. I asked the same two questions for like every guest. The first being, you know, one, where can people find you on social media or website or whatever? And the second question is like, what's one last message you'd like to leave with the audience? Yeah. Um, all right. So first, where can people find us? Uh, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, it's all the same DP sneak. I'd stay away from my TikTok. It's, it's nothing interesting, but YouTube and Instagram, I think we have some good stuff. So give us a, give us a follow there. Two things that I want to leave with the audience. I'd say first, if you want to get into reselling, uh, reselling sneakers, don't get into it if you don't actually have a passion for shoes. There's plenty of other ways you can make money. And I know this is counterproductive for me because I want more people reselling more, more things I can sell, but don't get into it if you're not actually passionate about sneakers. Uh, there's plenty of other ways to make money and you're not going to, the best way to make money in selling sneakers is just doing it the longest. It's tough to do it for a long time without necessarily seeing results right away if it's not something you actually care about. So that'd be my first thing. Second thing I'd say is just, uh, like we talked about earlier, be careful with where you're spending your money. Be careful with who you're trusting. Be careful with who you're listening to. Do your best to sift through the bad information and find the ones who are actually there to provide value. 
And hopefully that's us. DP Sneak, Dejan, thanks so much, man. Really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Tony. Thank you for listening to the New Street X podcast. You can learn more about the guest in the show notes and learn more about New Street at newstreet.com. Please make sure to like, follow, subscribe across YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and more. Thank you so much. See you next time.